0: Hello and welcome back to The Shakedown, an F1 and motorsports learning podcast. My name is Ellie and along with Moni and Hannah, we are learning about F1 and many other motorsports series too. In this episode, we're chatting about some of the F1 news this week before we tackle everything you need to know about a sprint weekend. We talk pros and cons and even discuss some crazy ideas of how they could change sprint weekends going forward. As always, if you want to get in touch or if you have suggestions of things you want to know about, you can find us on Instagram. Pretty Girl F1 Club and on Twitter at PGF1C, or you can follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. But for now, enjoy!
1: Hello, everybody!
0: <laughs> Hello! Hello! welcome to the shakedown f1 and motorsports learning podcast it's good to have you here with us we've got a lot of exciting things to get through today haven't we guys yeah yeah
2: lots of news to talk about
0: (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna try and sound
1: enthusiastic
0: yeah we've got a lot there's been a lot going on in the f1 space this week it's good so you may have seen if you've been you know anywhere that there's been a a, it's not a hostile takeover but there's been a a dramatic takeover people buying out 24 percent of alpine f1 team Moni, tell us a little bit about about it. Who is involved?
1: Okay, I did
2: not know it was twenty four percent. So figure that out. Learn something new right now. So, for my understanding, the, the people that bought into Alpine are the group of well, the ones that I know of are Rob McElhaney and Ryan Reynolds with what they bought into with Wrexham, and along to, along with that, Michael B. Jordan and like the friend, the Fenway Sports Group, who are also owners of like Liverpool FC. Obviously, Boston Red Sox are the two that I know that teams they have stakes in and that's about it so that is my understanding of it I could be leaving out names but of names are big that I know those are them
1: our listeners might know them from welcome to Wrexham Rob McElhinney McEl- McEl- yeah Haney? Rob McElaney. McElaney. so sorry if I butcher that you also may know him from it's always sunny in Philadelphia he was co-creator and was on the show he's also done projects like the Mindy Project Game of Thrones he was on an episode of that A few other ones so he's that's an me. actor along with he is He's in it. A- he's an actor and a producer and he's a comedian no it was more the Game Um, of Thrones thing
0: I did not know he was in Game of Thrones
1: anyway he was on one episode of Game of Thrones yeah he was on one episode of Game of Thrones he has done quite a few different things like ER and SVU I think correct me if I'm wrong
0: but basically these are Hollywood people like these Mm -hmm, are Hollywood mm -hmm. people not necessarily business owners per se not in the same way someone like your Lawrence Strolls are at Aston Martin this this, this this is bringing a bit of Hollywood and you know we all know how so how much one wants to push the entertainment agenda. So, you know, what are your thoughts
1: on it? Honestly, they now own more of Alpine than Lawrence owns of Aston. So that's mm-hmm. major. Uh um, Wait, what?
0: Yeah, it's in, t- in terms of his ownership of Aston, yes. In terms of his involvement in Hold over the one no. team, they're two different teams. They're oh, okay, two okay. different things that people do have to remember. But yes, I think his stake in Aston Martin is 20% or maybe a little bit lower. So yeah, this... Yes. This consortium, it is 2.0%. Um yeah, this consortium technically own more than him of the team. But you know, they've got they've they've had a pretty good rap I guess from Wrexham from like the TV show and sort of where the, the team are at and how they've invested into more than just the men's football team. So it feels like potentially quite a positive move. There will be naysayers, there will be people who don't agree. But Alpine seem to really welcome it as, as quite a positive thing. There's been some interviews with Lauren Rossi, who is the CEO of Alpine this week. And... I think he really sees it as a positive thing. I think Alpine have been surprised by how well Aston Martin have done this year, sort of going from like seventh on the grid to top two, or definitely top three. And so I think it's an interesting choice of team, actually, for it to be Alpine. What do you guys reckon?
1: So I actually had this conversation this morning with my mom when she asked me about it, and I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily optimistic about the addition. I'm, you know, thrilled for them that they're getting this money. However, and maybe I should have thought about it this way. Be beforehand they didn't know much about football soccer for American listeners when they bought Wrexham so my point of view was what do they know about racing okay that being said they did great things for Wrexham clearly you know it's now part of a professional league if it wasn't beforehand you know they've done a lot more
2: (laughs) they were the lowest professional uh league in your in England, before, like before it we went to basically not being able to be called like a professional league. So they were the lowest tier you can be to get a game paid. And then they move to the tier above it, which is technically the lowest of like the EPL series. So they're up in that one now. But continue.
1: E F L for our English listeners. But yes. See, I don't know much about I don't know much about football and like yeah, that's the sport that I don't know a lot about is, is uh European football. And I will happily admit that and you guys can teach me about that some other day. But my perspective on the question this morning was, well, what did they know about racing? And I guess if they're going to perform the way they did with Wrexham, it doesn't really matter how much they know about racing. But also, not to knock Alpine, if they, it's great that they now have more money. But what are they going to do with that money?
2: Which is a fair question to ask. It's like you're going to
1: because it just it doesn't seem like they're making they're making smart decisions. But they're not the smart to risk ratio isn't enough. And I don't think that they're going to do that any more so now than they were before. No, I That's think my... it's a really
0: valid point. I think it'll be really interesting to see how it affects a very much midfield, consistently midfield team like Alpine. Lauren Rossi has, has said that sort of by 2024, 20, they want to be competing for podiums frequently, consistently. But I do think they've been shocked by aston martin's dominance this year so i i think it'll be interesting to see how things pan out how the money does make a decision like make a difference because i think with all of this included then alpine's now valued at just under a billion pounds i think that was the amount i read so you know it does make a difference so i think yeah i think time will tell the the reality also is it's great that these people want to invest their money, but sometimes they can spread themselves too thin. Like part of, I think, what was so successful about Wrexham is that they were all in on it. Like they were there they and they they turned up consistently to the games and things like that. And, you know, F1's a different sport. F1's a different kind of thing. It may be that they are more of financial backing than a personal backing um, or f- like physical presence. Time will tell. But I do think it's interesting how much attention... F1 is still continuing to garner because I think there was a part where some people thought maybe it peaked a little bit and something like this would appear to be a a much more long-term investment and so I think it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out.
2: Yeah the reactions I've seen are like a mix of it like good and bad. One I'm annoyed that for every picture I see it's just Ryan Reynolds but that's a personal thing. (laughs) of me it's like it's not just him investing in it it's like a group of it from my understanding yes at least when it comes to like liverpool fc it's like people have opinions of how the boston group runs them and influence and that's like a whole bigger thing of like epl money and like the recent owners that have bought into it and the american owners but that's like a bigger debate that was not needed for everyone right now but like when it comes to like specifically the group of like rob and ryan and what they did for rexam it's like one of you can watch the show because I think it it does a great job explaining as to why they invested in owning in soccer club and specifically why they picked a team like Wrexham, where it's like, if you're Hollywood people who are gonna invest your money in this, why did you pick a team in the lowest league possible for when it comes to football? Why not why not just Do what every other American or Canadian that has money that's buying a soccer club is, which is you go to the EPL and just buy a team from there, which they've had ops they have they are options to do that, or you buy a team in the Championship League, which is the second tier. So it's like, but they did it. They were like, We're gonna start from the bottom and work our way up and invest in the community and bring this to it, which I think is cool and important when it comes to like sports and like the bigger picture of them. So I think for Alpine, it'll be very interesting to see if like what Hannah says, it's like they technically have a bigger portion of it than Lauren Stroll has with Pastor Martin and, and I guess the weight Lauren Stroll, which is probably like a, I can't think of a better word to describe, throws around when it comes to the team. It'll be interesting to see, one, what they learn with motorsport and F1, but more so I'm interested in like the marketing. Cause like people like to bring up the American market and like the Americanization, I guess, of F1 when it comes to certain things. And I feel like when it comes to marketing, they will have a better understanding of like, one, they do it for their shows and movies. And how, like, media works here and, like, how to get attention. But also, from what I've seen when it comes to Wrexham, it's also very funny. And they make fun of themselves when it comes to, like, understanding soccer or, like, Welsh since Wrexham is in Wales. So, I'm interested to see what comes out of it, for sure.
1: So, two, two points. Ellie mentioned that they're now, Alpine is now worth just under about a billion pounds. Part of my, I guess, point of view this morning at 7 a.m. was it's like giving... A child that's never had money to their name, $1,000, and asking them to spend it on something. What do you think they're going to spend it on, right? Cookies! So, and that's, that's kind of, I, I understand that that's kind of a cruel comparison, but that's how it feels right now until they can prove us otherwise. Second thing, Man, You made a point about F1 peaking in its interest. Well, this is a way to not have it peak. This is brilliant from a marketing perspective because now it's not peaking. It's planing. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to spike again and then maybe it'll plane. And the reason Ryan Reynolds has been the face of this whole thing is because he's the recognizable figure. He is the Deadpool and also he's Ryan Reynolds. I mean, come on. Yeah. Everybody loves him yeah and I think it would be really interesting potentially in the future um and
0: not to say mainly because not enough research to look into some of the team backing and team sponsorship and who is involved in those teams because I think it does tell you quite a lot about sort of the markets that they aim for that particularly some of the races that matter to them. I'm thinking of like some of the Saudi money invested in McLaren, I think it is, and how and that was such a big deal because that was considered a home race because of a lot of their backing. I th- maybe I've, got, I've quoted that slightly wrong, but yeah, I think it'd be an interesting one to, to look into in the future because I do think team sponsorship, team backing does affect the, the future and the trajectory, I guess, of the team. So speaking of futures of teams, we had some other very interesting news today out of the mouth of everybody's favourite oversharer. Helmut Marko, who has talked about uh, the future of AlphaTauri. Now, um, for those of you who don't know, AlphaTauri has long been considered the Red Bull junior team. They've been able to kind of swap drivers between them. There's very much been, you know, a sisterhood, shall we say? And and there's a few teams that have links with uh, one another. There's a there's a bit of a Mercedes Williams pipeline. There's a little bit of a Sauber, well, not Sauber anymore, Alfa Romeo. Ferrari pipeline, there's, there's there are links between certain teams, but the strongest one has always been um, Red Bull and AlphaTauri. And we don't know, we're not clear on any of the details yet, but we do know that from next year, AlphaTauri will have some slightly different sponsors, and they will also have a different name, which we are not privy to yet, we haven't been told that. And yeah, there's some changes afoot. Now, some of this could play into things like cost cap, because there's definitely been questions about whether or not Red Bull and alpha AlphaTauri share much development if you're looking at the performance of the cars you wouldn't necessarily think so but you know how far does it go between them being a sister team junior team whatever you want to call it um and and the link so it's definitely an interesting one to keep an eye on so that will happen from 2024 And like I said, we expect, I think we expect more details next week in terms of the name and stuff like that. But what are your thoughts on
1: it? So it's important to point out that this is not going to be the first name change under the same management for this team. They started out as Toro Rosso and they were Toro Rosso until 2020. Maybe my dates are a little shaky. It all blends together, if I'm honest.
0: Um... Yeah, because Alex was definitely at
1: Toro Rosso. Hmm. Yeah. Alex Rosso. so that was 2019, yeah. So that was so 2020 was the last was the first year of Alphatori. Alvatore is Red Bull's clothing line. That's where we get the name. So they are the modern Benetton.
2: What is Benetton?
1: Benetton was was the team from the 90s that Michael Schumacher used to race for, and Jos you Verstappen know, used to race for, <clears throat> and it was a clothing brand in Italy. Is a clothing brand in Italy I don't know if they still exist but I don't think they do
0: well because this is the reality a lot of the teams draw their names from key sponsors or engine parts or things like that like you know even some of the teams we have on the grid now have changed their names in so so many ways like there's, you can see graphics and things of the timeline of team names and things like that and a lot of that people don't realize is related to I guess the title sponsor but it sounds from helmets. Press release today that that will change for AlphaTauri in a in a big way. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they go back to Toro Rosso or if it's a completely new name. And and he's talked about new sponsors, which you would imagine will fuel the new name. So it'd be interesting to see how that affects like your Red Bull Juniors and sort of how they they get into places. But from what I understand, I think it is still going to be under the same like top level management.
1: Yeah, I don't think they're selling anything. I don't think that they're, you know, getting rid of anybody major. I think they're they're just doing a what they did with Toro Rasta to AlphaTauri. They're just doing a, a refresh. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think it's anything. Major. You should
2: probably look at once it gets announced. Well, we'll like, find
1: out next week. Yeah,
2: for next week or whenever we talk about like sponsorships and such to see like the differences that were made in terms of like the ones they kept after their name change and how connected they still are to Red Bull. Because like from my understanding of it, it's like. It being called, like, a junior team or, like, a sister team, it's basically just, like, it's Red Bull, but it's not. It's, like, the step above it. And I don't, like, I never really dove in and see how interconnected they are in terms of, like, development when it comes to the car or anything like that. But, like, the fact that drivers go up and down through them is very interesting to me because that's like, the only team I see do that consistently, you know?
1: Yeah, my perspective on that is that, like, they're the only team that can do that without looking, well, they still kind of look bad for doing it. But they're the only ones that can do that and not completely make an enemy out of fans because they booted a driver completely off the grid. Mm.
0: I think contractually as well, they they have more room to do it because the contracts yeah. will likely be under the same Red Bull group, so to speak. And so you're not breaching contract and therefore you're not buying anybody out to kind of swap them around a little bit. It is, I think you're right, Mon, it's definitely the team you see most consistently um And as Hannah said, least offensively, although that's a matter of opinion, being able to kind of juggle their drivers around. You see sort of, you think back to sort of 2019 and the Pierre and Alex swap, that's probably your biggest example. And that did generate quite a lot of backlash. There's, you know, I don't want to talk about it too much because we've got nothing confirmed, but there are rumours of driver swaps this year even. And they seem to be the team that, I wouldn't say get away with it because I think people aren't happy about it and don't like it, but they do seem to be the ones that have a lot more wiggle room in contracts to do it without getting penalized too heavily.
1: They have, they've already made the enemy. They went through six drivers in six months-ish, right? A year. So they've made the enemy. They don't really care anymore. Manas has just learned this. Yeah, we'll definitely cover that. And not not in our conspiracy episode, but maybe our silly season episode that we're definitely going to do because that is very, you know, it's a very important thing that happened in F1 and Red Bull history. Um, whether people like it or not, it's, it's important because it happened and now we're here and the survived is Checo for now, but we'll see. For now. In slightly happier news,
0: we've got happy team news. This weekend Ooh. marks a big anniversary for one of our
2: F1 teams.
1: Our favorite F1 team. I've, can
2: we just call Williams the, the, the team of the podcast? Because I feel like that's the vibe. it It is. Yeah.
1: I mean, it
0: is. Sorry, everybody else, but we are a Williams family.
1: Williams is celebrating 800 Grand Prix. 800. Yay, Yay. Well done, Williams. 800.
0: 800. I'm trying to think if there's anything I've done 800 times.
1: So technically, it's not this weekend, I think. I think i read something that said imola made it so it sets back one but they're going to be celebrating uh, this weekend okay. and next weekend because and there's actually imola not happening even though it's a tragedy makes it even better because now the 800th grand prix is happening at home
2: it's also albeit Silverstone
1: at home yay home for them i think that that worked out beautifully it yeah, was a tragedy that's really nice. and i'm still my thoughts are still with those people and but something kind of amazing came out of it defos love that if i read correctly if i didn't read correctly please correct me
2: this is when i say a uh, chaos prediction logan and alex taking a podium at silverstone just because magic i don't know oh. if there's a magic at silverstone but magic
1: they're gonna put the upgrades finally on the second car
2: logan gets the upgrades
1: guys we're a williams
0: supporting podcast. hate hate is gonna hate we are no we've got skin in the game you know what i mean
1: Last year's Austrian Grand Prix was an interesting one, but Alex held on for a very long time until the very, very end, and he, he just got squeezed out of the points. I remember that. Poor Alex. Nikki didn't finish, Oh, unfortunately. Nikki. I miss Nikki. He's alive. We got confirmation that he's alive this week. That's another piece of news. He was in Edinburgh. He was in the UK.
2: Mm. Was he at Glastonbury? Was he watching Elton?
0: <laughs> it looked like it well. in the photo, but I don't think so. He went to see Elton something in Edinburgh.
2: Oh, you know what? Go off, Nicky Tifi. Yeah. Love your bus life, Goat Tifi. You know?
0: Yeah, what a legend. The other exciting thing that is happening this weekend is Formula One are piloting a new low-carbon energy solution at this year's Austrian Grand Prix. So the idea for F1, if you've not seen some of the, the posters, is to be net zero By 2030, which obviously is like seven years away, got a long time, part of it feeds into some of the regulation changes that happen in 2026 with the engines. But this year, they are delivering or they're hoping to deliver a 90% carbon reduction for the paddock the pit lane and the f1 broadcast area in comparison to the austrian grand prix last year so they are basically exploring sustainable solutions to like power sources and things like that so they're going to use a low carbon system to power things like the garages the motorhomes, like all the people involved pit wall timings technical centers basically everywhere that like the, the broadcasts and stuff like that are housed. so the plan is to use hydro treated vegetable biofuel and 600 meters squared of solar panels on the inner field of the last corner on the red Bull ring which will provide sort of energy to fuel and run the event basically which is really really cool it's really exciting it's a pilot so you know how it is anything could go wrong but also anything could go right and hopefully it is the latter obviously you'd love to see uh, a solution that reduces carbon emissions like could be 90% or even higher, but also making it easier and more reliable because you don't need teams to provide things like their own generators that like it should all be provided by something like solar panels and the biofuel. So yeah, it's definitely a trial. Hopefully we'll hear a little bit of a report afterwards on how it's gone, which if we can, we will update you on next week. But you know, it's a step towards the
1: net zero solution, which is very, very exciting.
2: Hopefully it works out. I want it to work so bad.
1: It'll be great for for the sport if it does um we'll see if it does it's a very there's been a lot of talk about using you said vegetable fuel
2: mm-hmm. right biofuel yeah
1: so you know veg- vegetable biofuel so like and even in like for years it's been a conversation so hope this is going to be the first major test of that you know concept in this scale and if this mm-hmm. goes well that's major
2: okay.
0: Yeah, and if you want to check out some of the other stuff that, that F1 have done this year, you can check it out on their website. They've got a list of all of the other sustainable innovations and things like that that they've done this year. There was some stuff they did at the Spanish Grand Prix in terms of like battery-powered solutions. There's some stuff about the biofuels. So, you know, they are trying. I think, because Seb, didn't Seb drive a old car f- that was done with biofuel at Silverstone last year? It was... So,
1: you know, possible. I want to say it was... Oh, no, I don't
0: remember which car it was. Mm. It was a famous car. There was, there were... Oh, yeah. Like, without that being a dramatic thing to say, it was one that he'd bought at an auction and owned. I think it was an old Aston Martin.
1: I want to say it belonged... The P, was it the Pea Green? Yeah, it belonged to, a, it was a championship car. I know that. It was, I think, was it one of Nigel Mansell's? I think so. I think you're right.
0: Well, then, brain. I think you're right. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's there, he managed to get that one to run on biofuel. Very exciting changes and hopefully something that can continue to be explored and continue to see success in for a long time to come so that, you know, we can stay on this planet watching the cars go zoom, zoom in funny circles for even longer.
2: Yeah. Also, we get this weekend, we get a sprint race. Dun, dun, dun.
0: Love them or hate them, it's happening. (laughs) So what we thought we'd do today is we are going to explain a little bit about the history of sprint races. We're going to talk about sprint races in 2023 hopefully answer some questions um not that anyone has asked us any questions but hopefully answer some of our own questions about things to do with sprint race and then you know we're gonna have a little debate aren't we
1: we are now we did talk a little bit about what sprint races are in the context of the feeder series episode and what they do for the feeder series which is the original format minus a few things to the sprint races that we see in f1 now so they started in 2022 right they started last season right
0: no they actually debuted in 2021 because we had two years of the original format and then we've had the changes this year so yeah we had two years of the original format because the big one that we will inevitably talk about later was brazil
1: 2021 Woo, my beloved Woo-hoo. But also Brazil 2022 was also epic, so... Yeah, so let's put it this way. Sprint races are an interesting concept for F1. They are great ways to get more experience for feeder series drivers. The point cited by the FIA and the upper management and owners is that it's to get more racing and experience into the weekend. More more bang for your buck, if you will.
0: Yeah, I think the idea was to kind of offer every day of the Grand Prix to have significant action so if you're buying a ticket you get significant action on the Friday and the Saturday and the Sunday rather than it being more about the Sunday too much and then there's that little bit of quali on the Saturday but they wanted to basically make it so that like you say, people are getting more bang for their buck by seeing something important every single
1: day. Yeah. I'm trying to stay away from like opinion based stuff for this little discussion before our debate. But for this year, like Ali mentioned, they do change the format for the sprint weekend. It used to be that Friday you had one free practice session, then you had qualifying as you know it, Q1, Q2, Q3, as we know it, as we discussed in the first couple of episodes. And then Saturday, you have a practice session in the morning and a sprint race in the afternoon, and it was a third of the distance, right? So it was 100 kilometers of the race distance. Then that would set the grid for Sunday. However you finished in the sprint race was how how you would line up on Sunday. So say you DNF on Saturday, you line up either in the pit lane or at the end on sunday i think i don't think fernando finished last year and he ended up starting from pit lane anyways this year we are changing the format to include a shootout saturday's shootout for sprint qualifying this shootout is like an extra qualifying session
2: yeah so it's like the race weekend is fp1 on friday qualifying for the race on sunday and then we move to like the new format of the sprint race, right? Yes.
0: Yeah, basically. So you've got like Friday morning, you've got your 60 minute free practice, fine. That looks relatively normal. And then like you say, Friday afternoon qualifying. So so people see something exciting on a Friday afternoon. And like you say, that starting grid for the Sunday doesn't affect anything else. And then your Saturday basically is almost like a standalone event of the sprint race because you've got both the sprint shootout and then the sprint race itself.
1: Yes. I wanted to go over like how it runs first. Because there are some intricacies to it as opposed to like what we're used to, which is qualifying setting the sprint race and sprint race setting the race.
2: So the setup from what Ellie, you can correct me if I'm wrong when it comes to the shootout. So it's like the sprint shootout. It's like Q1, Q2, Q3. And it's like the first one is 12 minutes, 10 minutes for the second one and eight minutes for the third. Right
0: yeah yep yeah and the whole point of that is that every car basically has one flying lap, maybe time to pit, and then t- just about time to do a second lap. so you should get two timed laps in s q two and three, so the ten and eight minute ones. Without a pit stop, whereas in the first one there would be time to go to a pit stop to change your tyres. But there's also restrictions on tyre usage in the sprint shootout. So, in a normal qualifying at the moment, there are going to be changes in Hungary, but at the moment you can use any tyre that you want to. Typically, people will use medium or soft because they're faster but in the sprint shootout there's certain tyres are mandatory so you've got medium in sq1 medium in sq2 and then a switch to softs in sq3 which plays a really really interesting plays into to strategy quite a lot it plays in some really interesting factors which we saw in baku with lando getting into sq3 but not having a pair of soft tyres so not being able to set a time in sq3 so you know he starts 10th But he doesn't actually get to run in it because he didn't have any soft tires
1: left.
2: Yeah, which is interesting just because of it's very, that's one of the big differences from the like the old sprint format because you could just use whatever tires you wanted, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. You could use whatever you wanted and pretty much just, it was a free for all. That's when the tires requirement stopped being a thing. And now it is a thing Mm. again. So we'll see. Kind of, I don't know. I don't know if the shootout has grown on me. It kind of feels like an extra thing right now that you don't necessarily need, because it feels like two separate events. If that makes sense. Like for going, like going back to feeder series. At least for feeder series, they they flip the they flip the top ten. So something happens. Something makes it interesting. It's not just a. They do reverse grid, don't they? They do. They do a top ten reverse grid. I feel like that would make it more interesting if we did that for this.
2: How about we save that point for later?
1: Well, I'm moderating, so... Yeah, and there's a lot of ways that
0: we could make it more interesting. There's loads of ways to, to, to change it, yeah. But for now, let's focus on sort of the details.
2: So is the point system still the same from the old format, which is like 1 through 8 get points for finishing yeah. the top eight of the sprint race? Yeah.
0: Yeah, basically. So obviously there's six sprint race weekends this year rather than three that we've had in the last two years. So in theory the points could affect things quite a lot more. Like obviously the championship this year seems to be a little bit a little bit less competitive in certain areas. But obviously if there's six weekends, particularly between your Ferraris, Mercedes, Aston Martins. There could it, these these points could actually make quite a big difference to those teams, particularly in terms of like team points and for the constructors' championship and stuff like that. So, yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk about in terms of the sprint races was around grid penalties. So, are you guys aware of how
1: grid penalties are, are applied during a sprint weekend?
2: No, I am not. Hannah, do you know?
1: I'm familiar. I'm probably going to mess up a few things because it's been since brazil that i actually got to watch a you know race all the way through or a sprint weekend all the way through but for grid penalties that you require you acquire during qualifying they affect sunday now grid penalties you acquire during the sprint race i think they also affect sunday but if it's a sq penalty that affects the sprint race only and not sunday
0: yeah basically that's almost perfect the only other thing i'd add would be front offences in like the Friday practice session are saved for the Sunday. So Friday offences affect Sunday, Saturday morning, like you say, shootout affects sprint, sprint affects Sunday. Interestingly, breaches of Park ferme result in pit lane starts for both races. So one of the, the the big things that came up a lot in Baku was the treatment of Park ferme across a sprint weekend. So basically from the beginning of qualifying or from well from the end of qualifying on friday afternoon the teams are under park fermé rules now we've covered this in previous episodes but essentially that means they cannot make changes to the car other than like little flaps or whatever without incurring pit lane starts penalties and things like that so power unit limits only apply to to sunday races unless changing those like represents a park fermé breach but this was a big thing in baku because What it means is if you don't get the setup right on a Friday, you're kind of screwed for the whole weekend. We saw it with the Ferraris, they kind of set some stuff up and it it wasn't quite right, but they're not allowed to change it between the sprint race and the race itself because they're under park firming rules. So that's where some teams have chosen to incur penalties. I think in Baku, Nico Hulkenberg and Esteban Ocon both started from the pit lane because they were like, we know that on Saturday we got something wrong, therefore, on Sunday, we got to change it because otherwise we're just going to have a terrible race. And hilariously, they're the two that went almost the entire race on the hard tyres. And then we had that incident with Esteban's uh, picked stop right at the end of the Baku race where... It crashed. It was one of our first episodes that we talked about. And some of that was related to the fact that they'd had the car in this setup since Friday afternoon and not been able to change it. So, you know, the sprint doesn't have to have pit stops. The sprint doesn't have to have changes, but obviously any changes that they make in the race, like provided they don't breach part firming rules it's a bit of a it can you can get a bit stuck because if you set your car up right well then great you've got two races to show that off but if you do set your car up wrong it can be a little bit problematic you know the other thing about it that i will say about the sprint and this is similar to the feeder series like the pit stops aren't mandatory you don't have to change your tires unless you get damage or there's rain chances are you're not going to leave the action on track to go to the pit lane between start of the race and end of the race you can run any compound that you want to but the idea is that that compound should be able to do a full 100 kilometers there was i was reading up on a race and i don't know exactly which one because obviously for the feeder series they always do sprint race and feature race so it's a bit harder to work out exactly which race this was for but i know that in 2017 which i think was when they introduced the sprints in the feeder series it was uh, Charles Leclerc's year and he did pit during a sprint race and I think he came out in like 14th but because he had these fresh ties he blitzed his way through the field because chances are if they did the reverse grid he'd have started further back anyway than potentially he's someone you'd expect to be qualifying sort of higher up the field in that particular year which he won but you know there there could be strategy that plays into that in terms of making the decision that you're going to boxes if everybody's quite close together, and then absolutely bomb your way through the field. It's been done, particularly in the feeder series, so yeah, it could be a very interesting one.
1: I do remember that race. I see it all the time when it comes to like just edits and things like that. It was like the first time they were able to show that sprint races could actually add to something, and I think that that's what F1's trying to do, but it's not coming out the same way.
2: Yeah. It's like most of the, the system in place.
1: Yeah I mean they changed it from last
0: year didn't they? Because it's like they basically were like if the sprint race sets the Grand Prix grid this might be just a bit too boring because people won't take risks and stuff and so that's why they've tried this sprint shootout thing to try and make it that will take more risks because it doesn't compromise them on a Sunday if something does go wrong because you know if people were just happy to sit p9 they were happy to just sit p9 so yeah because of the whole park Fermi thing the Saturday practice two session was basically useless like it may it had no point for anything because you couldn't change anything you couldn't make any like adjustments or anything so you're basically doing this thing where you're just kind of rolling around so they have already tried to change and tried to tweak things but i think there's a reasonable amount of feeling among a lot of people actually that there are still things that could be done in the sprint race to make it a little bit better and make it a little bit more competitive which maybe we'll get into when we do our our sort of pros and cons in a in a moment any other questions, any other thoughts, any other comments on the sprint race this weekend? Just, we do
1: we have favourites? On who's going to win the sprint, or? No, 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 no. favourite weekends, sprint weekends so far. Everybody's favourite is Interlagos, like. I'm going to, I'll flat out say 22. 22 is my favourite. Both. Mm-mm, 22. Really? Oh, I was going to say 21. And like, like I, I really like Lewis, but
0: I'm not like a diehard Lewis Hamilton fan. But watching him... Blitz through the field is iconic. It was so good. I mean, last year's was very good. K-Mag, P-Water, like pole position. Interlagos has set a bar.
1: You have two first timers. That That's why I like 22 better. Because you, it's not, it's, yes, there was a lot of tension yeah. in Interlagos in 21, but this one was just pure happiness. Twenty two was pure happiness, as opposed to twenty one, which was just absolute chaos and tension and ugh.
0: Yeah, Interlagos is my bucket. Is my bucket list race.
1: Um,
2: I've only seen Monza twenty one.
1: Oh, Monza twenty one.
2: That's the only one I've seen, and that's because I fell into uh, the F one hole end of last year. So during um the winter break, I got up on TV. And I know Danny won the actual feature race that weekend. And I love Danny. So I'm like, let me go see something happy. <laughs> so I watched the sprint race and the race on. So I'm like, that one is the only one I've seen. So I can't say it's my full t- favorite because I haven't seen any of the Brazils. And I'm not seeing you guys are hyping them up. But now I want to go watch them. So I think I figure out why I'm doing the rest of the weekend other than watching all the races happening this weekend in WWE. So,
1: it's going to be a jam-packed weekend. Yeah, cuz this weekend we get F1 series, too.
2: I'm ready for it. If anyone saw my Instagram post on my F1
1: <laughs> Instagram. So, let's get into our little debate. So, there has been a lot of discourse about sprint weekends for F1 and what they do or don't do, who's fans of it, who's not fans of it. So we're going to have our own little friendly debate. I'm excited to get into it. Hannah, how are we doing this? Remind me who is for and who is against sprint races.
2: For sprint races. Yeah, at least against.
1: So let's start with Mon and let's talk about the positives of sprint races. Let's Let's do it one at a time. So pick your most important, strongest point that you can think of and start there. Ellie's ready. She just cracked her knuckles.
2: I'm probably going to get beaten down by Ellie, but we'll try. So my biggest one is that I don't know how well it will work with the new system of sprint of like the sprint shoot up. But my biggest one is that allows for other racers that isn't the other teams that aren't like our Mercedes our Ferraris our Red Bulls to compete for points and get points that you may not get. During a typical Sunday, especially this season where you feel like you can predict like the top six when it comes to a race. So that's my biggest one. You allows for midfield teams and like the bottom teams to compete for points.
1: Ellie, you have a
0: response? I hear your point. Uh, Yeah, I hear your point. However, I would say the actual opposite (laughs) in that I would say like, I think it was an interview with, I want to say Alex Albon in Baku, who basically was like, this has no relevance for me. This is not relevant to my racing. It's like it's not important for lower or midfield teams because actually the top eight places are locked up. At least sometimes you see places nine and 10 in an actual race, but actually in a sprint race, your top eight places are taken up by your two Red Bulls, your two Mercedes, your two Aston Martins and your two Ferraris. So actually for me, for me it actually seems to limit the options. Like, If we did like a reverse grid or if the points went further down, I do understand that it could be a really valuable occasion for these smaller teams to get some really incredibly valuable points. I just, in the way that it's set up with just the top eight and no reversing or changing up of the grid, I think it's just extra points for the leaders and they don't need the extra points. It's the little babies that need the extra points. You know?
2: The sprint race doesn't no longer impact qualifying like it did in the previous years. So, yeah. But other my other big point is the strategy, especially with the tire related to uh the shootout. Um, I'm really trying to shoehorn these in right now because <laughs> Ellie's gonna be the master debater. But uh, the, the is needed, I guess now, especially since you do need mediums for the shootout one and two and then the softs for three, and that plays a role in how you'll I guess we'll start as we saw with Lando and shootout three in Baku. So like it adds something else to pay attention to, I guess, when it comes to one trying to qualify for the sprint race and then actual sprint race in terms of tire management.
1: So what you're trying to say, Mon, is that it's supposed to help the way... The old format was helping that... um, the back markers. Yes. This new format may or may not yes. help is what you're saying.
2: That's exactly what I'm saying. And then with the new format, it adds a whole new element of tire strategy, just because as we saw with Lando and Baku, like if you don't have softs because you use them for qualifying for the race on Sunday, then you, can, then you, can't, then you can't actually drive in SQ3 because of the soft tires or the lack of their force. So therefore, you are not going to start a possibly higher position for the race, the sprint race. Ellie, okay. counter argument to that point. <laughs>
0: I I take your point in terms of how it affects qualifying. I think there are some interesting calls that you then do have to make. Obviously, Baku particularly was quite a hot climate and the, the softs didn't seem to do all that well and actually the hards and mediums seem to to do longer so it will be interesting to see in an Austrian climate I think it's arguably going to be wet this weekend at least in parts so that again could affect things but I would probably also argue the opposite in terms of strategy like there are no pit stops therefore tires and strategy kind of become a little bit irrelevant so basically you're like unless there are really good opportunities for overtaking in theory if everybody starts on a same or very similar tyre in a certain order they're just going to follow one another around because there's no undertaking there's no over there's no undercutting sorry there's no overcutting there's none of that that plays in unless it is a wet race unless people happen to box but for for me I don't feel like we see as much wheel-to-wheel racing anyway but I feel like this could just one be just there's the opportunity for it to just be one big fat DRS train. <laughs> and I think that's quite unfortunate. I do, I do I don't hate the the forced tire choices in the qualifying. And like we've said, interested to see how that will play out in somewhere like Hungary. But for me, because there's no pit stops or anything like that, it takes so much strategy out of it. Like, honestly, what are the strategists gonna do? Like unless it's wet, there's no real strategy involved you just kind of sit
2: there follow them around uh basically that's where my list ends just because i don't know how this set- setup goes i'm basically team chaos of uh let's make sprint weekends ca- as chaotic as we can be i literally the top bullet point for my notes is just chaos team chaos which basically means i would prefer that one sprint races actually impact qualifying for the race on Sunday so like how format was but on top of that let's throw in a reverse grid let's make it like kind of like F2 where it's a reverse grid of like the top 10 or the top 8 like pick a number that you feel like is going to make it more interesting where like Ellie says like right now the way it is I'm not going to deny like you can easily predict the top 8 just based off how watching the season has been so like why not make it more interesting of like giving teams or drivers like Yuki or Nicole Hulkenberg a chance to get points because you're like, if you want it to be a full weekend of racing, why not make it actually interesting racing instead of just like a giant DRS train, which is currently going, I guess like the Ford, but it's just, I feel like if you're going to have something like a sprint race to add to the racing, why not actually make it? So it's actually fun racing to watch versus just being predictable and points like Alex said, like if you can predict it, what's the point of having it
1: okay so from a perspective of racing because the original point of having the sprint races was to have more action right so what do we is that doing that are we missing something is it more detrimental to the driver's health and the team's health than it is to our you know benefiting our entertainment what are your perspectives ellie you have your hand up go
2: just go ellie go go off
1: I just have a few more
0: thoughts. <laughs> okay, I just have a few things that I just think is really important to flag. And I saved them for this discussion rather than saying them too much earlier, but I'll bring them up now. And then I have some thoughts on how we could improve uh, the sprint race because everyone should hire me. I'm fabulous. Um, last, last time out in Baku, we saw a couple of really, really interesting things happen. And even in Interlagos in 2022, there were another like few quite curious things so taking a look back at our last two sprint races so in sq2 in Baku, one logan Sargent crashed his little car bless it now a few problems with this one so much more work for the teams at the weekends because with two more competitive sessions there's a lot the driver's are going to be pushing more and therefore you are likely to see crashes hannah's crying because it's logan but Uh, basically the worst part was it meant he missed out on the entire sprint race itself because he crashed his car Williams bless their cotton socks went realistically we ain't getting points here so what's the point in trying to rush fixing the car for a race that Logan's not going to get into the points into and that's not really even anyone being pessimistic on a Williams that's just saying there are only eight points available and I don't think he's going to get there Um, There's a lot of other teams that potentially would look at that and go, is there even any point in us wasting fuel parts and running? Because it's more jeopardy. There's more opportunities for things to be missed. And when you're in these smaller teams where, unfortunately, you don't really have much chance of getting near that top eight, it can seem a little bit pointless. It can seem a little bit unnecessary. And, you know, Alex said it himself. Like, what relevance does this have for the lower teams? Hannah, I feel like you've got something you want to say on this. Dawn,
1: you have counterpoint?
2: Um, no. (laughs) Like, when trying to come up with reasons as to why I was pro sprint race, it was very hard to do it, especially in this new current format, just because we've only seen one. And it's like, I watched it either live or on like just replays of it on F1 TV. And it's just like, the qualifying did give something to look uh, to watch for just because of like the tire thing and like oh my god lando and i think it was yuki didn't have soft tires so if they make it to sq3 then they may not be able to compete because of yada 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 so in terms of that yes but then it's like with the logan thing it's like another thing to worry about it's like okay he's not gonna be in the sprint race itself because he did crash his car they want him ready for sunday versus trying to rush it for the, the actual race that the race on saturday so it's like, it adds the parts, it adds to like these things. So it's like, there are definitely benefits or like entertainment value that you can get from a sprint race, which we see in the feeder series. But I don't think F1 itself has figured out a way that works with how it's set up in the current system it, or however you want to look at it. It's like, I personally don't think it's doing what in, what they are intending to do in terms of like making it entertaining racing throughout all days, if that makes sense.
0: I mean, that's where we got the iconic George and Max crash. We did get that in uh, in the sprint race in Baku. That was entertaining. One of the things I find most interesting right, about the sprint race is where it sits in the annals of history, shall we say. So you look at George last year in Interlagos, obviously won his first race in Interlagos, but he actually won two races that weekend. Yet if you look at his statistics... He's only ever won one race. It's a bit of this weird middle ground of going, well, does this count as a race win? Because technically they win a race, but it's not a race win,
1: you know? Right. You do make a valid point because we talked about this a bit in our Feeder Series episode where in Feeder Series it does count, but it's a sprint race win versus a feature race win, right? So that is something that's a valid point. And in my heart, he's won two races. But anyways... um... (laughs) I will give you my biggest criticism of the sprint race and the format as it is
0: now. My biggest criticism is is the Park Fermi rules. Like I said, you saw it with the Ferraris and Baku. Um, If you have, teams have reliability issues, if teams have accidents, things like that make it very, very, very tough to not just lose an entire weekend to it. And particularly, you saw someone like Pierre and Baku have issues in the free practice session on the Friday morning, his car caught on fire. It, it doesn't set you up for a great weekend, and I think there's a lot of commentary, um, which will, I don't think will be changing for this weekend, but may change down, down the line in the future, that there should be some concessions made around the Park Fermi rules between a Saturday and a Sunday, that potentially you're fixed from Friday to the end of the sprint race on a Saturday, but then you could change things for a Sunday if you figured out that this or that doesn't work or just having a little bit more room to make some adjustments. So it was going to be my question to you guys. And I read a really, really interesting article earlier on some like potential changes to the sprint race. But if you could change one or two things about the current, as it will be this weekend,
1: sprint race format, what would you change? Mon, you want to go first? You want me to go first?
2: You can go first, Hannah.
1: I want to reverse grid like super bad. So bad. From where? Reverse the whole thing. Like top 10. Like F2 style. Top 10. Make it interesting. If you want to do like one weekend where they do reverse everybody and just full chaos, full send, all chaos, go for it. I would love that. But I, you know, I like my chaos experimental first. My second thing is that I really don't like the sprint shootout even though i haven't actually been able to watch one yet it kind of just it doesn't feel like a one weekend it feels like two different events now so it just feels pointless to me personally speaking
0: but almost making that first change would make the second change possible because you'd have one set of qualifying because then it would just be the single set of qualifying and uh, for the race on the sunday and then flipped for the saturday so then you wouldn't need your sprint shootout qualifying because you'd use the reverse grid qualifying yeah. to set the, the grid for the sprint.
2: I mean, for me, one of the things is also a reverse grid, like to make it more interesting is reverse grid. Come on, give me chaos. I want to see chaos. So that's w- w- mine right there. My other one would be like make it. So it's like the sprint race impacts where you start on the feature race. Like how it was before, like where you finish in the race matters. So like, right. Like who wouldn't want to see Max qualify first for the sprint race and then it's like reverse grid and he has to work his way back up to P1 to get P1 versus him just going laps, lapping around. And then because he hit a curve in Canada, he's like, oh, my bad. I'm zoned back in. I zoned out for two seconds, you know, like. Spice it up. Let's add some spice. Is it going to happen? Probably not, but I want it. Anna is raising her hand. Yes.
1: Okay. So I don't remember exactly what the style is called, but I call it hat pulling. Um, it's an equestrian thing where during a, a, a equestrian Grand Prix weekend, they pull the names of horses out of hats. So you don't necessarily get to ride your horse. I think we should do that.
2: People are in different cars?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, I
0: feel like that is less likely to happen than you said, uh, if anything, reverse grid, which is unlikely to happen. But I'm here for it. I want it. I agree. <laughs> I think it would be fun chaos. Yes, I know. I know. I know. So I read a really interesting article earlier um, on Motorsport Magazine, which suggested a very very different change to the sprint weekend so one of the complaints from someone like Max Verstappen who if anybody doesn't know is very anti-sprint um is that there's more opportunity if things go wrong they don't need to do more racing it's exhausting all really valid concerns actually because it's like two extra sessions where they've got to really concentrate hard so what this magazine suggested was that instead of using the formula one drivers that they use reserve and test drivers instead i would love that so it could be timed to account for red and yellow flags it could even be made into a mini constructors championship where it contributed towards funding for that driver or like career options or the money was like distributed back into feet like small feeder series but actually I was reading this article and I was like oh my goodness me I want this to come true because the thought of having all of these people getting the opportunity to because the whole point of the sprint race in the feeder series is to showcase talent imagine getting to showcase talent in an F1 car itself because we see these young driver tests in the FP1s but to see it in a much more competitive environment for me would be so so exciting and it would feed people into like academies better it would be so interesting Hannah talk to me give me your thoughts
1: so I love this idea I'm mad that I didn't think about it for me I think that that's a great idea because this is a way to exhibit your feeder series kids not all of them but a lot of them are attached to an academy like we talked about and a lot of them unfortunately will never get to sit in that seat in any more of a capacity than a young driver test so if you can a it's a good assessment for the team to know if this is a good investment for them b it's a good way to get these drivers marketable marketing is a huge thing and people don't understand that and that absolutely kills me because the reason and i this kills me to say it the reason logan is in his seat is because he's marketable to the u.s there is very little other reasons right now that is the reason he is in his seat and that is it okay
0: okay but do you want the list of proposed f1 sprint race to reserve driver lineups
1: because I'm going to be
2: so hyped and it's going to be so sad because it's never going to happen.
1: Can I guess? Yeah, I would love you to guess. Okay, let's start with Red Bull. Liam, Dennis or, or Danny? So you've got two drivers, remember? Okay,
0: P- possible. I mean, there's there's you've got to remember there's the sort of the, the fluidity between AlphaTauri and Red Bull. So you've got four seats there. You've got three of them. So you've got Liam, Dennis, Daniel Ricciardo. And who would your fourth be? Iwasa. you're thinking basically f2 drivers reserve drivers test drivers
1: no it's not Iwasa. so it'd be jack it'd be jack crawford wouldn't it it could
0: be it could it arguably could be but that's on the list no
1: actually zayn maloney really that was that was the guess that i have but i was like no he's too new to the academy yeah this is just this person's
0: opinion like this isn't like obviously set in stone but hypothetically if you were to have to have two drivers in at a time obviously you've not got the same restraints as you would in like the young driver tests where they could do multiple things and multiple times you've got to have two at the same time so that's your four red bull Alpha Tauri ones let's go mercedes next mick teo no teo is alfa romeo
1: oh no I- bestie frederick bestie that's who it is i don't know why i get them confused they- they're literally nothing alike
2: okay so is it mick and frederick Vesti.
0: yeah Yep. We'll go Ferrari next, which this one I don't know that I necessarily agree with, but we'll go with this person's opinion on the Ferrari ones.
1: Antonio Giovanazzi. I know who I'd want in the seat. I think it's going to be Robert Schwartzman and Ollie Bearman.
2: My guess was Antonio Giovinazzi and Ollie.
1: So you got
0: two of them out of the three, but Ollie is not on the list.
2: Rude. I'm offended for Hannah.
0: Not here anyway. I, again, I don't know that I agree with this. I don't agree, but I like oh, yeah. for it to be Giovinazzi and Robert Schwartzman does actually make a little bit of sense. I'm just surprised to not see Ollie Behrman anywhere on this list because obviously you've got the links with your Alfa Romeo and your Haas drivers too.
1: Here's my thing about that. If this were to be a marketable opportunity you want to go for junior drivers more than reserve drivers because the reserve drivers already have the experience, which doesn't make it a level field.
0: And I would argue that potentially you need similar race rules as you have for the young driver sessions where they can't have completed uh, an, like two or more actual races to qualify. I would probably want to see that kind of rules implemented here as, as well. So anyway, the Ferrari one suggested would potentially be Giovinazzi and Robert Schwartzman. Alpine is probably a, what more what you're expecting to see.
1: Who would you say for Alpine? Is it Jack? Please tell me it's Jack.
2: That's all I have is Jack.
1: It's probably Jack and Victor.
2: Ellie's is when we get the right is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's Jack and Victor, which I'm not sad about.
1: No, I'm not. it will definitely be interesting because their team dynamic is already interesting. <sighs> we love to see it. McLaren then.
2: Pato and Polo. I said battle really white right there. Pato and Polo.
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, they don't really have junior drivers. Yeah, spot on, man. So
0: Alex Polo is their reserve driver, and they're the two that did their FP1 sessions uh, last year. So yeah, you'd expect to see someone like that in that kind of thing. Alfa Romeo, we've already said Teo Porsche. I very much disagree with this next one, but who else would you be putting in an Alfa Romeo seat?
1: No idea. Oh, I'm trying to think of all the the Ferrari Academy drivers, but they're really oh, is it Arthur? It's Arthur.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with it because I dislike Arthur. Actually, I adore Arthur. I think he's fantastic. However, I wouldn't put him above Ollie, except for on age. Like obviously he's a bit older, but in terms of performance, particularly this season, both him and Ollie are rookies this year in F two. I would say performance wise, you'd probably be more likely to back ollie so nothing against arthur i do think he's adorable but i yeah i i and like i say this isn't like (laughs) this isn't obviously an accurate list this is just someone's opinion but my gut would probably be not
1: putting arthur in there just just yet okay aston martin felipe felipe
2: that's all i got i just got felipe
1: felipe and jess hawkins i think that would be a better choice to have because you know even with the
0: Alpine seat I potentially be putting um someone I'd be like pulling in there but no this is a very male well not entirely male dominated but largely male dominated list and lineup so in here we have the Aston Martin reserve driver who is Stoffel van Dorn
1: Oh yeah. But he again, that's another one that's not a junior driver. He doesn't qualify if you were to set in place rules of like the FP one session.
0: Yeah, but I do understand that this is one of the rare opportunities that these reserve drivers who have been demoted from F one could have to get back in the car and prove how good they could be. So I go both ways on it. I do understand that it's I, I'm I'm more at the F P one young driver rules, but you look at someone like a Daniel or a Mick this could be their only chance to showcase that they could be good
1: yeah that's fair for me it's like putting red bull seb in a pack of peewees rookies (laughs) and letting him eat them alive like I say I don't necessarily agree that this should
0: be it but it's just interesting isn't it it's interesting to hypothesize so let's run through the last two quickly so Haas and Williams let's do Haas first
1: Haas is another Ferrari pipeline though it's gonna be Pietro Fittipaldi though and then Williams is they only have a bunch of F three drivers.
2: And Williams, I'll put Jamie Chadwick in there.
1: Yeah. They have they have a bunch of F three drivers and Jamie Chadwick. So it, you get to pick between one of the three FP four four F three drivers. And then Jamie.
0: Yeah, so Jamie is on the list. That's a good She's choice. a solo female a on choice. the list. And Zach Sullivan. I didn't think it was a bad choice. The other one for Haas is Alessandro Pierre Guidi, who, if I'm not mistaken, was one of the Ferrari drivers in Le Mans. Yes. I think so. So that's what's suggested here. Like I say, this is not an exhaustive list. It was just, I read it and I was like, gosh, this could be so interesting, couldn't it? Like, like I say, either getting the opportunity for these young drivers to showcase how well they could do in an F1 car or for some of these reserve and devoted drivers to get the chance to kind of have a big push again, which I think, I think both have their merits. My personal preference is, would probably be towards the young drivers but that's just because we love the babies but also seeing daniel and mick race again would would be quite cool so you know obviously this is probably never going to happen we can suggest it we can comment on it we could <laughs> speak to the fia our best friend. but the reality is it probably isn't going to happen but it could just be a very very interesting way to spice up a sprint race
1: yeah I think so, especially if there's like a weekend that the sprint race is happening where we don't have feeder series as well. That's another opportunity for the young drivers to take in a, a weekend and learn about it and and experience it and be a part of it. My just going back to the Williams lineup real quick. You have, I think now four different drivers to choose from and Jamie, and I find it really interesting that they chose Zach. It's not a bad choice, but Franco Colapinto right now is also somebody that they have that has performed better than better if not the same as Zach um but Zach has definitely been in the academy a little longer yeah I think it, it it would be so fascinating to see if they did this and I think we'll see
0: sort of some of the choices obviously in the young driver sessions and things like that although Williams um are one of the teams that will only have one because they have a rookie so yeah time will tell I mean it's interesting what you say about having it on a weekend where there isn't feeder series because actually we've got austria this weekend where there is feeder series we have spa at the end of july where there is feeder series but then the remaining three are qatar austin and interlagos where there are not feeder series to my knowledge at any of those three so you know maybe this idea will feed up the chain to the fia and they'll make changes In time for those ones where the the Feeder Series guys could maybe get involved because they won't be racing that weekend.
2: But Or send this clip to the FIA. A girl can dream.
0: Well, I think that's most of what we've got time for. Anybody got any last comments, thoughts, opinions on a sprint weekend?
1: Iris, this is a great idea and we just buffed it up even more. Give us a job. (laughs) That's it. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you for being
0: around thank you for listening to our chaos thank you for enjoying and joining in our debate and we'll see you all soon on the other side of the sprint weekend bye everybody bye thank you so much for listening if you've got any questions on anything we discussed today or there are topics you'd love to learn about with us in the future then we would love to hear from you you can get in touch on instagram at prettygirlf1club and on twitter at pgf1c or follow us on tiktok at pgf1c See you soon.